a seat, and as you do, grab a Bible. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. If you need a Bible under a seat close by, you can find a black Bible under one of those seats. Grab it, find the table of contents, and then get to this book called Philippians towards the back of your Bible there. And um, this passage, these four verses um, we're studying today about 11 years ago, um, preachers are the worst at overstatement, but here one and I mean it. Uh, this verse, these, this passage 11 years ago changed, the, changed my life. It changed the way I understood what it meant to walk with Jesus. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian home in a very culturally Christian area of the country. We, know, we knew how to look the Christian part. Um, growing up um, in a Christian home as a, as a quote-unquote Christian, um, I went to church and parents, I didn't even complain about it much. I just knew there wasn't even really a choice. It was Sunday, you're going to church. Um, I tried to be good. Um, I certainly did bad things. But I drew a line at um, what I thought was too bad. And I just tried to stay on the good side of what was the too bad line. And that's what I thought it meant to be a Christian. I, I define what it meant to be a Christian a lot of times by what I didn't do more so than who I was. This is what most of my uh, upbringing, and this has nothing to do with like the churches I grew up in or the family I grew up in. The churches I grew up in were gospel-preaching churches. The family I grew up in was a gospel-centered family. This had everything to do with me translating what it meant to be a Christian by what I did and what I didn't do. And then 18 years old, 19 years old, um, it's the first Saturday night, um, off away at college, and I just remember, I remember that night, our f- dorm number 406, Martindale Hall, that first Saturday night, going, tomorrow's Sunday. That means church. But wait, I'm not going to hear mom's screechy voice, not like, Brock, and I say screechy with honor and respect. <laughs> Get off for church. And it was just the first time I was like, I got a choice right now. I don't have to keep doing this. I don't have to keep living this. And I just remember setting my alarm that night, not out of some like being super spiritual, but just because like I'm like, I don't, if I don't go to church, do bad things automatically start happening? And I just remember the rest of that night. And it was shortly into those years in college, 19, 20 years old, um, that I came face to face with Philippians 1.27. And Philippians 1.27 says, it starts with this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And without getting too much into unpacking that yet, I just got to say this whole concept that's unpacked in Philippians 1.27 and following changed everything about how I understood what it meant to walk with Jesus. It changed everything of how I understood, like, I'm a Christian, so I'm just supposed to do good things. And though I was taught my whole life that you don't earn your salvation, I was living as if all of the good thing I was doing was, 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 was for the gospel instead of all of the things I'm living out right now come from the gospel out of a response of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And this principle right here, it changed everything about how I understood what it meant to walk with Jesus. So here's my prayer. Uh, Some of you are in here this morning and you did not grow up in a situation like mine. 
Um, you did not grow up in a Christian home, and some of you walk in here today, and you're, you're like, I'm not even a Christian, and why am I here? And um, I pray today, as we unpack this life lived in a manner worthy of the gospel, I know you don't even maybe know what that word gospel means right now, but I pray by the end of the day that it's clear. And I pray that as it's clear, as it's made clear to you that our loving Heavenly Father would reach down and pull you into his family this morning. And then I pray for a second group of us. Um, and you grew up in Christian homes and you know the verses and you know the songs and you can sing it all and you know how to look the part and you, you know where that like invisible Christian line was from being bad but not too bad. Um, I pray freedom today will happen as we study these verses. That you will stop seeing your walk with Jesus as something like you're trying to earn for, but instead would see it as an absolute response out of what he's already done for us. That's true good news. And then I pray for the kind of a third group of us that you have tasted the goodness of the gospel in all of its fullness and all its clarity. You recognize that, there's, that Jesus is not grading your performance anymore because it's finished on the cross and he's declared you righteous in his sight because you know him personally. I pray that today we would lay our lives next to these verses and say, am I living my life in a manner worthy of the gospel? And so, we ready for a study like that? If you said no, you're getting it anyway. So, <laughs> pray with me and let's jump in. Father God, I ask right now for your very clear teaching of your word. Lord, I don't know why in your wisdom you've laid it out in your word for a preacher to communicate your word, Lord. Uh, God, I beg you, would you please get me out of the way right now? Would you be held highly and would your word just serve the purpose of you being held highly? Uh, God, I pray you got to be the one who grips our hearts with this. Lord, when our minds kind of go off and we just kind of daze off, you have to be the one who re-engages us. Lord, I believe these four verses can radically affect the way that we walk with you. And so, God, I pray right now, would you come and grip our hearts by your word? Spirit, do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 1, 27. Only, other translations of Bibles say, uh, whatever happens, whatever might come, Whatever you have ahead for yourselves, Philippians, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whatever's coming, just let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And now, it's important that we understand, um, uh, before we understand what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, we have to understand what the gospel of Christ is. And here's the definition we've kind of been using throughout this series. The gospel is this. The gospel is first and foremost a good news message. Do not miss that. 
Anytime I see on Facebook the whole quote like, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, I just throw my laptop across the room because the gospel is a message. The gospel has to be preached. The gospel has to be spoken. And the gospel is a good news message. Sorry if I offended you with the whole St. Francis of Assisi quote. I'm not sorry. Not sorry. Sorry. Not sorry. The good news message that Jesus, the gospel is first and foremost about Jesus. The gospel is first and foremost about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. Gosh, how we've taken this message and we've tried to package it all up like, give me Jesus so that my life can be better. That is not the gospel. He just said preach. You hear him? (laughs) He just said preach. Let's not mistake. I'm I'm, I'm passionate today. I pulled the jacket out to you for you all today (laughs) because I knew I was going to be bringing it. But it... This is what we've done. We've taken this gospel message that is the best news ever, and we've tried to make it about us. It's only about us in the sense that Jesus saves us so that we can bring him more glory. It's all about him. The gospel is the good news message that Jesus, by his grace, by his grace, Jesus has no gold star performance chart in heaven He's not looking down going, one for Brock today, scratch one off for Gangloff today. (laughs) It's all of grace. Can you imagine what our chart, star, gold star charts in heaven would look like if it wasn't? By his grace, grace is a gift we don't deserve. Grace is him... Grace is him, is him giving us what we never could have earned on our own. The good news message that Jesus, by his grace, he takes us from hopelessly dead in our sin. All of us in this room today, we're not exempt from this. We were all hopelessly dead in sin. The gospel isn't only for the quote-unquote really bad people. Guess what? God's word tells us we were all in the really bad people category. Well, I can think of some things I haven't done. Yeah, you haven't done them, but man, you've thought them. He takes us from hopelessly dead in our sin. And you're like, I thought you said this was good news. It is. Here it is. Here it is. From hopelessly dead in our sin to what? You say it to me. To what? Abundantly. Abundantly. John 10.10 says... I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it abundant. The life in Jesus Christ is the abundant life. And I'm not talking about the abundance of things. I'm talking about the abundance that's given to your heart, this gospel joy that this whole series is about. This contentment that comes only from Christ. This contentment that, that, that persists and endures regardless of circumstances. This is the abundant life. And guess what? The abundant life in Jesus, it never ends. It goes on and 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 on. Do you want me to keep going? We could be here all day. This is the gospel. And now, Paul says... Whatever happens, only focus on this. Let your conduct, let your manner of life 
reflect, be a response to that message that you've been given. I love if we translated this very rigidly, here's how it would read. Only worthily of the gospel of Christ you should live. Only worthily of the gospel of Christ you should live. And this changed everything for me. It was the first time in my life when the Spirit of God used this verse that I understood with clear eyes. I'm not doing good things. So I'm not doing good things for the gospel. I'm, I'm seeking to live for Jesus in every area of my life out of a response to what he has done already for me. This is the power of the Christian life. If you try to live out to be a quote-unquote good person without the power of the gospel at the foundation of it, you will get so tired so fast. It will be too big of a burden. But once your heart has been arrested and gripped by the fact that Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless life, died in your place so that you could live with him forever, there's the power in that. All Paul is saying here is that our lives, our lives are just a response. Our lives are just a response of thankfulness to the best news that we've ever received. And listen, this is how it always works with good news. Good news always is met with a fitting response. Uh, watch this family whose dad has just surprised them from, be, from coming back from being deployed. It is homecoming, and it's homecoming here in Carolina. Guess what? Starbucks trying to find the perfect clip, just crying in the corner, like watching <laughs> all these military homecomings. The good news has always met with a fitting response. Um, check out this lifelong Chicago Cubs fan after his beloved Cubs watched, won the World Series. You YouTube that, you will see grown men weeping. Wives, how many, any of your husbands cry after the Cubs won the World Series? Good news, good news is always accompanied with a fitting response to it. And Paul, <laughs> go Cubs, go. And Paul says here, Paul says here, and when people look at your life, they should just see this response that makes sense this response that makes sense to the best news of the gospel that you carry around with you. And so let me get practical with this. What does it look like? Well, write this down. First point, my life is to be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. My life is to be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's get real practical with this. What does living in a manner worthy of the gospel look like as we parent our children? How does understanding how patient and long-suffering and gracious 
our Savior has been with us. Help us in turn parent in a way that is patient and long-suffering and gracious with our kids. How does living in a manner worthy of the gospel help us when it comes to this thing called marriage? Um, Help us not hold grudges. Oh, they said that. They're going to pay for that. Can you spell couch tonight? How does understanding that our Savior, because of the gospel, has not held a grudge against me? How does uh, living in a manner worthy of the gospel prepare me to be quick to forgive? Quick to forgive even those people that others would look at with me and say, you don't have to forgive them for what they did. You don't have to forgive them for that. And yet, is there anything that our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ has not forgiven us for? How does does living in a manner worthy of the gospel affect the way we walk into work tomorrow, the way we walk into school tomorrow, the way we get up and raise our kids tomorrow? How does living in a manner worthy of the gospel that every single day we get up and we remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ has done for me? And if you need help with that great book, Gospel Primer, the gospel primer, it'll lead you through a way to just preach the gospel to yourself every day. How does getting up every day and reminding ourselves of the gospel then lead to how we go about conducting our life the rest of the day? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And every time I read something like that, I'm like, oh, please, what follows? Help me understand what it looks like more and more to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are, here's where it gets, you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Uh, My life is to be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, um, this paragraph helps us understand some of the outflows of what that looks like. Write this down. That we are to be unified by the gospel. We are to be striving for the gospel. And we are not to be frightened by opponents of the gospel. He helps us understand as he's writing to these Philippians, focus on these things. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. So I need some help. Kip, can you help me? Kip, come on up. Um, Joshua, can I have you? Thank you. If this is your first time, don't worry. I'm not calling on you, okay? Um, um, Cassie, can you help me? Sorry, Cassie. I saw that look. Um, Adam, Adam, can you help me? Yes, thank you. You guys stand right back here, make a line, and uh, can, you lock, can you lock arms with one another? Can you lock arms with one another in a straight line? Excellent, excellent. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit. Think about this. How practical could Paul have gotten after saying the sentence, let your life be lived in a manner worthy of the Christ? You know where the very first thing he focuses on is the unity of these Jesus followers in Philippi. He says, 
Your life is to look like this. Standing firm in one spirit. And I kind of picked these people intentionally on all different ages, different genders, different uh, callings, different amount of kids, all different. We gather here collectively, all very different individuals, and yet there's something that God calls of us. Uh, If we're going to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, that we are a people who stand firm in one spirit, completely unified by the fact that though we are all very different We're unified by this one thing, and it's awesome, and it's called the gospel. That's why we call our small groups around here Uncommon Community. Because we're a bunch of different people sitting in a circle together, all united by Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's really important. Um, If you guys would, make a circle, kind of huddle up for me. Keep your arms locked. Keep your arms locked, make a circle. I may hear of you that you're standing firm. Cassie, I apologize for you right now. I may hear of you. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We love, we often love as Christians that first part. Yeah, one spirit, unified, one heart, one mind. And so you know what we do? A lot of times we create these little holy huddle things. Can I get in? Okay. We create these holy huddle things. We say, no, I'm just being biblical. It tells me to like, we should just be one in spirit. No, 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 no. Keep reading the verse. One spirit striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Kind of a weird worded thing there. What I believe Paul's saying there is faith that springs from, faith that results from the gospel. How can, how can we strive side by side, unhuddle, stay alarm lock, stay arm lock, but unhuddle. How do we strive side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel if we we will not be a unified people going out into the mission field together for the faith of the gospel. And so, uh, this should be fun. Keep your arms locked off the stage, and you guys need to go add people to your chain link here. And pick people you know, okay? So off the stage, Kip. Stay good. I just wanted to watch this walk happen here. <clears throat> I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The Lord never intended us to simply be a unified group of people that are not on movement together, reaching other people for Jesus. He has always, from day one, asked us to multiply his image across the globe. Uh, Chain links stop. And here's what happens if we really start to live like this. If we will really live with this radical unity that's invading lostness to see people come to know Jesus, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Guess what? That implies opposition will come. That implies we're going to take some shots. So for the part you guys didn't know you were signing up for, elementary class, come in, balls in hand, and assault our believers. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I thought about it, but uh, 
I thought about it. But uh, hey, you guys can sit down. Thank you very much. You guys can sit down. Thank you very much. This implies opposition is coming. And now I want to take this kind of from the realm of our game and just get real practical with it and ask us three questions here. First question is this. Are you living, if you're honest with yourself, are you living in a one heart, one mind, gospel unified way with others? You're like, I'm at church. Doesn't that count? Yes, it does. But, it, but it's deeper than that. Are you doing life with other believers in a way that is truly doing life together? Or have you compartmentalized your walk with Jesus to an hour on Sunday and maybe like a little bit of time and devotions in the morning? God has called us together to do this Jesus thing together. We cannot do the one another's of Scripture without one another. And this is why we're so passionate around here about these things we call small groups. That in two years, God has filled this room, um, two services with hundreds of people. Praise Jesus. Amen. But here's what we can't do well on Sunday morning. We, we can't get into the specifics of life. That if, that, if, that, if, that if Dustin and I don't have time outside of this, how does Dustin know how to hold me accountable? How does he really know where my heart is? How does, he, how does he really know what's going on here? If we don't have these types of people, one heart, one mind, gospel unified with others, listen, we're missing the joy of how God has called us to walk together. And now let me build on this with the second question, though. Are you striving together for the faith that comes from the gospel? Translation, are you striving with other believers to see the faith, uh, to see the gospel advance? What would it look like for you to start seeing your workplace, first and foremost, not as a place you glean a paycheck from, but as a place that is a mission field given to you by the Lord? What does it look like for you to see your school, not as a place you're going just so you can get a degree at the end, but a place God has sovereignly put you to see other people come to know Jesus? What if the Lord has called you into relationship with himself so that you would be the catalyst that sees faith spread across your family? Notice the word that's in Scripture, striving. Striving. It implies a bit of endurance needed. It implies where we're going very next, some pushback is inevitable. Third question, are you unafraid by any opposition that may arise to the gospel? So I had to get away this week and play catch-up with some sermon prep, and so when I do that, I go down to... Uh, um, the Starbucks down in Irvington. And um, I'm prepping that morning and three strangers walk in and they sit down in the corner in front of me. And to say it politely would be to say that it looked like they had a very rough night last night. It looked like they had not slept. They were dozing off to sleep right in the chairs in front of me. They were trying to call someone on a phone. Just They were looking for a ride anywhere. And um, I, I've got my earphones in and I'm listening to music and I'm pounding out a sermon and... Um, just felt impressed by the Lord. You tell him about Jesus. And I'm like, Lord, I got a, I got a sermon to write. No time for that. And um, so I take my earphones out. And um, the next 30 minutes was me kind of 
working and trying to engage three random strangers in a conversation about Jesus. So my first tactic was just to do kind of the awkward look over there in their direction, <laughs> try to get eye contact, to which kind of the youngest of the three gave me the look, like, if you look over here again, it's not going to end well for you. <laughs> and um, then I kind of would start to say something, and my mouth would, like, be open, and I'd just kind of go down for a sip of water. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm, I am, I, I believe I was disobedient in that, so I'm not, I'm, I'm a little ashamed, I really am, but they left then, and they left, and I don't know where they had come from or where they were going, but all I do know is that I think I missed an opportunity to be obedient to what God had called me to, and um, I was just kind of sitting there, kind of, okay, why? Why was I not willing to open my mouth to just see what was going on in these guys' lives that day, what had happened last night, and if I... If I really believed that I had good news that I could give them, why did I not give them good news? And the answer to that was one word, four letters, fear. I was scared how they were going to respond and kind of just off the cuff in that moment. I was scared of what the other people who were sitting around the Starbucks there would think as I began to talk to these people about Jesus. And in that moment, I was not living in a manner worthy of the gospel because when we're living in a manner worthy of the gospel... It tells us that we can live unafraid, not frightened in anything by your opponents. And then he goes on to say something interesting. He says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. He says, there's a boldness that happens. Picture the early Jesus followers. They'd get up in the morning. They'd start telling people about Christ. It would end uh, pretty much one of three ways, and they were all bad. They were going to get beat for it. They were going to go to prison for it. And eventually they were going to die for it. And yet, what they would do that night is they'd all kind of go back to a common house and they'd huddle together. And like with missing teeth and split lip, they'd be like, wasn't that awesome? Guys, what do you want to do tomorrow? Do you want to go do it again? Let's go do it again. This is what you see as the pattern of Scripture when you read the book of Acts. Unafraid by their opponents. And I just look at my own life, and I'm like, there was no threat, I don't think, of getting beat up in that instance. For sure wasn't going to prison for it. Don't think they would have killed me there. And yet, why, what am I scared of? Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. He says, you just keep coming back, even after persecution, even after things that you should be frightened. Like people look in on this and they go, these people truly do believe this. And then he goes on to say something so radical for our day. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also what? But also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. My life is to be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. The second point underneath that is this, that we embrace the privilege 
when we're living in a manner worthy of the gospel, we embrace the privilege of both believing in Jesus and suffering for Jesus. I want you to look back in your Bibles, verse 29, when it says, for it has been granted to you. This is gift language. This is gift language. You ha- it says, you have been given a good gift from God to believe in Jesus, and yes, even if that means suffering for him, it is a good gift from God. This, folks, was so normative for Christianity in this day, and it is so rare in our culture today. That again, we've watered the gospel down to become something that's just all about um, give me a life as I know it right now plus Jesus and great, everything's just going to be better. We have boiled life down into what I refer to and others refer to as an easy believism. What I mean by that is raise a hand, pray a prayer, walk an aisle. Get your insurance policy from hell and then walk out and there's no life change. There's no willing to count the cost to follow Jesus. There's no willing to endure any suffering for his name. And I just kind of go, is that, any, is that legitimate faith at all? I'm messing with a ton of your paradigms right now, aren't I? I'm not saying that if you raised a hand, prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, that there wasn't a, that's how I came to know the Lord. I am saying... If you've raised a hand, prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, and it had never translated into any sort of Jesus being represented in your life or life change, I don't think you have legitimate faith in Jesus. Because what he says here, that it is a good gift from God, that for the sake of Christ, we should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And suffering's not the end goal. We're not a bunch of crazy people who just want pain inflicted on us. What he's saying is if believing in Jesus, if walking with Jesus brings on your life suffering, pain, persecution, and hardship, believe, he goes, believe me, it'll be worth it. And if your faith stands through there, there's a legitimacy to your faith because if the suffering comes, you're like, I just want Jesus. And if it means that suffering has to come, I'll endure the suffering because I just want Jesus. He's the treasure. He's the prize. He's the everything. He is, folks, the treasure and the prize and the everything. He is not just a tag on to our life as we know it. Jesus never signed up to just be our sidekick buddy. He signed up to be our Lord and our master. And then Paul ends this. He goes, listen, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict. Do you hear the war terminology there? We talk about our military engaged in a conflict overseas. He says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. Remember when I was in Philippi with you guys? Remember how that ended for me? Yeah, not great. And he goes, and now you hear that I still have. Where's he writing from? Prison. He's writing as a prisoner. He goes, listen, this following Jesus thing, we've been granted a good gift 
to believe in him. And that belief might come with suffering for it. But the enduring theme of this book of Philippians is the theme of joy. We, anytime we stumble across the word suffer as like American Christians, they were like, oh, no. No, 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 not that, not that, not that. Just give me the first, give me the belief part. And I'm with you. Like, not up here hungering for any suffering coming today. But he says, this pairing of belief and suffering, guess what? It can still produce joy. Joy is this. Joy is an enduring, non-circumstantial delight. How do we have an enduring, non-circumstantial delight even in the midst of days that we experience gospel suffering? It's because our joy is gospel joy. And gospel joy is an enduring, non-circumstantial delight in the good news message that Jesus, by his grace, takes us from hopelessly dead in our sin to abundantly and eternally alive in him. Here's my question. What if, would the, what if the roughly 800 of us who gather in this church every week, what if we really started to live in a way that was worthy of the gospel of Christ? Like what if, what if we really started to live in a way that a culture around us would go, those people are radical. They're crazy. And yet when we read scripture, we're like, no, it just seems normal. It just seems like this is what God always intended his believers to look like. My life as a Jesus follower and your life as a Jesus follower is to be lived in a manner that when people look at our lives, they go, those people actually believe the good news that they proclaim. And so I'm going to have the worship team come out, and I just want to invite you to stand right where you're at. And um, we're going to close with a time of worship. And I love, love, love this song that has kind of hit the uh, Christian music scene. And I believe why I love this song and why I believe God is using this song is because I believe what this song is, is we're just singing the gospel. I think God likes to honor things where we're just singing the gospel. The first verse of this song says, I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. And I would just encourage us as we sing this today um, to really try to engage our hearts in the words that are coming out of our mouth, to experience all of the emotions that come with the gospel as we sing it. The gospel good news message that Jesus by his grace has saved us has taken us from hopelessly dead to abundantly alive it starts um, on Calvary if you're not used to church where this is what we're talking about where Jesus Christ went to a cross because there was sin to be paid for a, a, a lost world it says he bled and he died there uh, then uh, the song will go on to talk about um, his body being taken down and his body being wrapped and laid in a tomb. And this is where Jesus' opponent said, we won. Where's the crazy teacher now? Dead in a tomb. But there's another verse coming. Then I'll, I wish I could sing right now and I'd sing it. 
I'm going to spare you all that. It says, then on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. And then we go, oh, there's the gospel, there's the gospel. That's it, the gospel, gospel. But then this, it gets even better. What's that last verse? I, I honestly can't remember. Oh, he shall return. He's coming back. Listen, we Christians have a win-win life. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If we die before he comes back, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Or if we don't die before he comes back, he's coming back. And he's going to establish a kingdom. And it will not be marked by sin. And it will not be marked by death. He will reign eternally. So church, as we sing the gospel now, I pray, these are more than words from our mouth, but I pray that they're the engagement and the outflow of a heart that has tasted the goodness of this gospel.